I am so glad to get back to the book of Romans. Uh, we had a, a break because of our Christmas series. that We do a Christmas series every year to just really focus on the birth of Jesus. And we are getting back to the book of, of Romans in chapter 5 today. And I want to just review a little bit. You know, one of the things that uh, has happened in the first four and a half books of Romans is Paul has been telling us over and over and over again, don't forget how depraved you are. Don't forget how sinful you are. Don't forget how bad you are without Jesus. But also don't forget how good and wonderful and perfect the goodness and forgiveness of Jesus is. And he's, he's wanting to create this dichotomy for a reason. Because when we begin to think to ourselves, hey, you know, I'm a pretty good guy. In fact, God's kind of lucky to have me on his team. And we begin to think, well, you know, I, I appreciate what Jesus did for me. It was good. We begin to minimize the gospel because the gospel is the distance from our understanding of our depravity and the understanding of God's goodness. And so Paul's been trying to help us keep the gospel big by remembering how bad we are without him and how good and wonderful and and perfect the forgiveness of God is. Uh, Today, uh, we're going to talk about uh, death in Adam and life in Christ In the last half of chapter 5, Paul shifts his focus to really the heads of the two families in life. Now, these aren't the five powerful families in New York City. These are two families that exist for humankind uh, that all of us are a part of. Did you know that every person belongs to one of two families? And that's it. Everybody belongs to one of two families. Now, I want you to answer the question today. Don't freak out about this. But I want you to answer this question today during the sermon. Who's your daddy? Okay? I want you to be thinking, who's your daddy? Now, the Urban Dictionary says that this is a phrase that's a kind of a rhetorical question to prove dominance. You know, people try to prove your dominance. You know, who's your daddy? I want, I'm asking a real question that I want you to answer at the end of the sermon today. I want you to be able to answer today, who's your daddy? Who is your real father? Because I think that's what Paul's trying to get to us in this fifth chapter. Let's read Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21. And then we'll come back and we'll look at it piece by piece. Here's what it says. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, 
the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I see really two, or I mean uh, four uh, kind of main themes in this passage, and the first is this, sin reigned through Adam. Sin reigned through Adam. Let's go back and read verses 12 through 14, paying careful attention to how sin reigned through Adam. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So we see here that sin entered the world through one man, Adam. And most of us are familiar with the story of Adam and Eve being created by God and being the first man and woman, being in the Garden of Eden and uh, committing that very first sin. Now, Adam was made perfect. Think about this. Adam was made perfect without any sin. Only two people in all of human history, well, three people in all of human history, have been created sinless, Adam and Eve and Jesus. But Adam and Eve chose to sin. And death or separation from God was the result of that sin. And then the the scripture says that death spread to all men, kind of like if there was a, a sin gene. Now, I have brown eyes like my father had brown eyes, and, and I'm beginning to look more and more like my father did uh, as he got older. And uh, I, you know, most of us can see uh, in our children glimpses of us. Uh, you can see other families and see how the children look like the parents. Uh, there's DNA that flows through our body that creates who we are. And if you think about this, Adam had this sin DNA when he committed sin, and then he passed it on to his children. Just like if it was brown eyes or blue eyes. He passed it on to his children. They passed it on to their children. They passed it on to their children. So on and so forth until it basically is in all of our DNA. But all men also chose to sin because it's already in our nature. In other words, when, when theological students get together and they debate, are we condemned because of our nature of sin? Or are we condemned because of our behavior of sin? The answer is yes. Yes. We are both condemned by the sinful nature that is born into us because of Adam's sin. But we can't say, well, you know, if it wasn't for Adam, I wouldn't have done any of those silly things. Come on. Let's be honest. Let's stop lying. That's a sin. Uh, Let's be honest. The reality is we all choose to sin also. So it's both and. It's not either or. It's both and. We sin because it's in our genes, it's in our nature, and because we simply choose to rebel against God. Then Paul says that sin was around before the law. Now that's an interesting concept. And, he begin, and then he goes on to say that sin doesn't count where there is no law. Now what does that mean? What does that mean? So look, uh, before there were any seatbelts, I know most of you don't remember that, but there was a time when there weren't any seatbelts. And there were no laws about wearing seatbelts when there weren't any. 
Paul's saying, look, uh, you might think that there was, was no sin, but no, 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 uh, stuff was still going on even when there was no law. He goes on to say that death reigned from Adam to Moses before the written law. How is that possible? When there aren't any laws, how is it possible to break them? Because you would think, well, if there are no laws, you can't break the laws, right? How can separation from God through sin exist if there are no rules? Well, even before the written law, if you remember Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 2 that we've already looked at. By the way, if you miss those sermons, they're on our website, fogkc.com. You can go there anytime and listen to them. Even before the written law, man knew right from wrong and had a declaration of his creator in nature and in his own conscience. That's why people who are far from God still know right from wrong. Listen, it's not just Christians who know right from wrong. My friends who still reject Jesus, they know that murdering people is wrong. They know that robbing banks is wrong. They know that breaking laws is wrong. It's in our, it's what God has put in us. When he created us, he created this, this sense in us. It's not from the Holy Spirit yet because we only receive the Holy Spirit when we receive Christ as our Savior. But there's still this thing in us that God has put in us to know right from wrong. We've seen that the law does not bring salvation, but condemnation. But the law does bring light and focus to our rebellion. In other words, the law didn't create the sin. The law didn't create uh, uh, the ability to do wrong. The ability to do wrong was already there. What the law does is make it clear to everybody, right? It's like a big magnifying glass. So when Moses received the law and it said, do not commit murder, everybody should have gone, see, man, I told you. I, I told you it was wrong. You get, we knew that. They should have already known that just because God's put it in them. But the reality is, when the law came, it put a big magnifying glass on what was wrong. So Paul talks about, Paul talks about Adam's transgression being different because he violated the absolute verbal expression from God while others just violated the kind of normal law of God. God told Adam, look, Adam, you can do anything you want in the garden, man. No rules. You can do whatever you want, however you want. Just don't do this one thing. Now, for those of us with children, you already know where I'm going, don't you? When, when, when we begin to leave our children alone and we go, listen, you can do whatever you want in the house. You can you know, get, make yourself a sandwich. You can watch television. You can do, but just don't do this one thing. What are those little sinners going to do? They're going to do it, aren't they? Of course they are. They're going to go right to it. They're and that's what Adam did. God said, just don't do this one thing. And that's exactly what he and Eve went and did. Now, the people that came after that, because they were thrown out of the Garden of Eden, people that came after that had no verbal expression of God's law. They had no knowledge of God's absolute law, but it was still in them. So while their sin was different because it wasn't against the express law that Adam had, the reality is all human beings have been sinners because of this sin gene that comes in us uh, when we're born. And so we see here that sin reigns in the human race 
because of what Adam and Eve did. But that's not the whole story. The fact is, grace reigns through Jesus Christ. Look in verses 15 through 17. It says, But the free gift, of, uh, free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Here Paul begins to compare Jesus' act on the cross to Adam's act of rebellion. Adam's rebellion brought about death and separation. Jesus' act dying for our sins on the cross brought about grace. Grace is God's unearned favor, his unearned love. Adam brought condemnation. Jesus brought justification. And remember, to, to kind of remember what justification is, it's the act of being called righteous, just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. Just as if I'd never sinned, God sees me as righteous. Death reigns through Adam. But Jesus' act on the cross brings about the gift of righteousness. The gift of grace through Jesus' death is superior to eradicate the condemnation from Adam's rebellion. Now those who were born once into Adam's family receive judgment. But those who are born a second time into God's family through Christ receive forgiveness. It was exactly what Jesus was talking about in, Roman, or in uh, John chapter 3 when he was talking to Nicodemus. This man, this religious man comes to Jesus and says, Hey, Jesus, what do I have to do to go to heaven? What do I have to do to be saved? To be right with God? And Jesus says, Well, Nicodemus, just one thing. You've got to be born again. Nicodemus' mind is blown. He's like, Okay, Jesus, I don't get how that's going to happen. I'm a grown man. How am I going to crawl into my mother's womb and be born again? That's not possible. Jesus goes, no, 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 Nicodemus, you don't understand. You've already been born physically. Now you need to be born spiritually into the family of God. You see, we're all born once. We're all born fleshly, sinful, because of that sin gene in us. But we all have the opportunity to receive a spiritual birth to move from Adam's family to Christ's family. Everyone exists in one of these two families, folks. That's it. There are two families, Adam's family and Jesus' family. And, and one of these families is directing your life. One of these, either the first Adam or sometimes Jesus is called the second Adam because he was born perfect, one of them is ruling your life. To be a conscious human being is to stand at the crossroad to decide which family you want to be a part of. Being born into Adam's family is not a choice. When you were born physically, if you're a conscious human being, you were born physically. 
So there is no choice in the decision to be born into that family. The only choice that exists is the choice to move out of that family into God's family. That's the only choice that remains. Only the choice to receive forgiveness through Christ is a choice, in essence, to switch sides, to be out of this family and into Christ's family. Let's look at also the result of one man's sinful act versus the righteous act of Jesus. In verses 18 and 19, it says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So it took one act of rebellion to bring condemnation. But it also only took one act of righteousness, Jesus to fulfill his mission to bring about justification. Now, if you're looking carefully at these scriptures, which I hope you do when we read them, this inclusive language is not suggesting universal salvation. Although that is a uh, false doctrine that is creeping into more Bible-believing churches. I want to go back and just read. Uh, by the way, what's the Bible students cheer? <laughs> Man. Well, you got the words right. I'm going to get some, I'm gonna have to get some actual context cheerleaders up here that can help you with that. What's the Bible students cheer? Yes, 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 yes. See, any, listen, I can take any scriptures out of the context, take them, you know, one verse here, one verse there. I can take anything I want out and make it believe or teach anything I want it to teach. I can manipulate the scripture that way. And so it's very important that we read these passages in the full context of what's being said. If we took just these scriptures, just these two verses out of this passage and read them alone, we could get a universal salvation viewpoint. Let's look at them. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. Hmm. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. The same words are used. So it could appear like, and it's being taught in some places now, that Yes, Adam sinned and brought condemnation to everyone. But when Jesus died on the cross, he brought salvation to everyone. So everyone now is saved. Everyone now has been born again because of what Jesus did on the cross. That is not true. Let's go back just a minute. I don't want to confuse you too much. But I want to go back to the scriptures before this. Because I want you to see how the language is different. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God on the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Uses the word many from both. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace. That's not all inclusive. It's not all inclusive here. It's saying those who receive the abundance of grace. So that means that some can and some won't. 
and the free gift of righteousness reigns in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. I only show you that, folks, because this thinking process is creeping in to what used to be some Bible-believing churches, and it's important that we don't uh, get thrown off by reading scriptures out of context. It is not suggesting universal salvation. It is, however, suggesting the universal choice of all men to choose Christ. Paul's emphasizing this overwhelming opposite of these two families and the choice that exists. Listen, there is no middle ground when it comes to Jesus. There's no Switzerland to, to following Jesus. You, you can't be neutral, okay? A choice to not make a choice is a choice. If we're born humans and born sinners, then a choice to make no choice keeps me right there. So when our friends or our neighbors say, hey, listen, I don't, I don't hate your Jesus. I'm not against your Jesus. I'm just not for him. They're making a choice to stay right where they are. Okay? So there is no like, well, these are the people that are really hate Jesus. And these are the people that really love Jesus and follow him. And there's a whole bunch of people in the middle that can go, ah, I can take him or leave him. It doesn't exist. There are either those who were born sinners or are still in Adam's family or those who have given their life to Christ by faith receive this forgiveness, and are born again. No one is neutral, folks. I want us to see before we go today the results of grace overcoming sin. This is so exciting, so exciting. Look at verse 20 and 21. Here's what it says. Now the law came, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now what it's saying here is, when it says the law came in to increase the trespass, that doesn't mean that the law came in to make us sin more. It didn't come in and make us sin more. It simply came in and pointed out our sin. Listen, when a person begins to read the Bible for the first time, and they begin to read it and be serious about it. They go, oh, man, I guess there are times I'm greedy. Oh, wow, I guess there are some times I'm rude. I didn't know that was sinful. Oh, there are some times I'm not thinking of others first. I didn't know that was a sin. And their sin, they just, there's a greater knowledge of the sin. There's a greater uh, unveiling of the sin because the law, God's word, points it out. That doesn't mean they're sinning more. It's just much, much more apparent. And so the law comes in to increase the trespass, make it more apparent, but where sin increased, where the pile of sin gets higher and higher and higher, grace abounds all the more. Folks, it doesn't matter how big that pile of sin gets. It doesn't matter what our past is or what we have done or how bad we have been or who we have hurt or what we have done. The fact is, no matter how big that pile of sin gets... God's grace and forgiveness are a little more. A little more. Or actually, to be actually correct, it's a lot more. It abounds all the more. Wow. That means that sin reigns in death, but grace reigns through righteousness leading to eternal life. Even where sin is increased and the law makes it evident, Grace is bigger and better still. 
No matter how big our sin is, God's grace and forgiveness are big enough to cover them, folks. If you have ever had the thought in your mind that I can't follow Jesus, I can't give my life to Jesus, I can't cross that line of faith and put my faith and trust in Jesus, I've just been too bad. This verse says that's not true. If you're sitting here and you say, well, I gave my life to Jesus, but I can never amount to anything, I can never do anything, I can never be anything for him in his kingdom, this verse says that's not true. Folks, no matter how bad we have been, and I'm talking about the things that only you, maybe only you and one other person, maybe only you and one or two other people know, I'm talking about where all the bodies are buried in our lives. Folks, all of that stuff is not big enough to keep us from God's love and forgiveness and grace. That should excite us. I mean, when I hear that, I just, I want to scream, I want to shout, I want to cheer, I want to weep. Because I know how bad I've been. And I know how good God has been to me. So while sin gets a big win by bringing death and separation to us, God's win of grace and forgiveness is even bigger. And folks, that's why we can face death with absolute victory for those who have confessed Christ as their Savior, and especially for those who have both confessed Him as Savior and we see it in their lives. We see that they're true about what they believe. I got word this morning that uh, a good friend of mine from years past, uh, back when I was touring, was a songwriter with me, wrote some songs on my first two albums with me, uh, passed away last night. And... uh, I've always been a little jealous of his talent. Really talented guy. But I am more jealous of him today than any time I've ever been jealous of him because of where he is. Man, this guy loved Jesus. We didn't agree on everything. But he loved Jesus with all of his heart. And he lived it out. There's no question he believed it. Now there are some people who confess it And their lives barely or if ever show it, and we kind of are worried about them. But this guy confessed it, and he lived it out. Folks, what we're hearing today is no matter what he did throughout his whole life that brought separation between him and God, God's forgiveness and grace and mercy were bigger. And that means he's guaranteed to be in God's presence. Yes, Adam's fall brought forth death for all men. But the death of Jesus on the cross, paying for our sins with his perfect life, brought about the opportunity to receive grace and forgiveness, which is available to all, including you. So I want to ask you a question today. Who's your daddy? Is it Adam? Or is it God? Is it Jesus Christ? And I don't want us to only ask this question for ourselves. 
I want us to begin to really think, for those of us who've already put our faith and trust in Jesus, I want us to begin to think about those that we come in contact with on a daily basis. Now, don't get weird about this and start walking around asking everybody, hey, who's your daddy? That's good. That'd just be weird, okay? Don't do that. But I do want you, I do want you to go to work tomorrow. I want you to go to a restaurant this afternoon after lunch or after church. I want you to walk around and just say to yourself, I wonder who their father is. I wonder who their father is. If you want to keep it in your mind, ask the question, who's your daddy? But folks, everybody on the planet is either still in Adam's family, separated from God, or they've chosen to be in God's family through faith in Jesus Christ. We want to help you to become better at reaching your friends and neighbors. In our community groups this week, you're going to get a little prayer sheet that's going to help you to list some people that you can pray for. And we want to encourage you. It's only about, uh, about 10 weeks, 10 or 11 weeks till Easter. And what we want to do is kind of encourage you to start praying for the people that you know that are far from God or even unchurched. Maybe you don't know. Start praying for them and pray uh, for God to work in their heart and through their circumstances. And then pray for God to give you one of four opportunities. The opportunity to either share your testimony with them, uh, share the gospel with them, have at least a spiritual conversation with them, or invite them to church. Listen, every uh, uh, large evangelistic movement in history started with people praying. Because we can't change someone's heart. Only God can do that. So we want to help you to think of people that you can do one of those four things with and begin praying with them. Over the next uh, few weeks, we're going to give you other tools to use to help you start spiritual conversations, to help you talk to people in a normal fashion without sounding like a weirdo, and, and just get into the lives of people and share what God has done in your life, folks. Listen, if this passage does not help us understand, man, I am totally, completely lost without Jesus. But I am totally and completely found and forgiven with him. If this doesn't help us get it, nothing will. That should change the way we think and the way we interact with people on this planet, folks. If we know they're still in this family and they have not yet chosen this family, when they die, it'll be a whole different story. And those funerals are no fun at all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. We thank you for your word that teaches us what we need to think, how we need to feel, how we need to be. God, help us to just yield ourselves to you and let you work in and through us. Father, we thank you that even in our lostness, in our depravity of sin, you reached down. You took the initiative to love us. Even while we were nailing Jesus to the cross, you loved us and allowed him to give his life for us, in payment for us. Father, we're so thankful for that. Help that not to just uh, bring about a little bit of, of uh, thankfulness in our hearts, but help us to change the way we think, the way we interact, the way that we talk. God, help us to really live like we believe that this has taken place. Father, we're thankful that someone shared the gospel with us. And we're thankful for the opportunity now, this week, to begin praying for those that we know are far from you. God, use us, use us 
as your messengers to reach this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.